This is Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien. Microsoft and the University of Washington have managed to make artificial DNA, not because they're going to create some Frankenstein form of life, but to store information. And back in 2016, we talked with Professor Luis Sezi, who has been working on this. And, and from listening to our previous interview, uh, I said to you, isn't that really slow to have to store information in a, a chemical like DNA? And you said, yes, it was very slow. We're working on that. Well, two years has passed. Have you made some progress on that? Yes, we made a lot of progress, actually. We've uh, shown how to encode even more information in DNA. We've crossed the gigabyte uh, threshold, which which is uh, an important one for us. And now we've also shown recently, that's the, the paper that was in the news uh, last week, on how to make the whole process fully automatic. So there's like, no more mixing of beakers or anything like that? Yeah, so no no more people moving around with pipettes uh, and to, <laughs> <laughs> to access data. Uh, we've shown, of course, we've done you know uh, very, very much an early prototype, but uh, we've demonstrated with that it's actually possible to automate the entire process from bits to molecules and back to bits. Now remind me again why you chose DNA. Is this acknowledgement that, that nature got it right and uh, there's no more efficient way to store information or what? Well, uh, this this shows that DNA can be a very, very good alternative for, for data storage because it's extremely dense. You know, just think of it. You can put what typically takes whole data centers, whole buildings the size of a Walmart can fit in a sugar cube yeah. for, for information storage. It's extremely durable. It lasts on the orders of thousands of years as opposed to decades at best. It doesn't deteriorate? Uh, it can deteriorate, but if you keep it in the right conditions, it won't. If you keep it dry and away from, from light and, and radiation in general, it lasts for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's true. We've extracted DNA from you know corpses that are millions of years old or thousands yeah. of years old. Um, it's proof of existence. And then there's a couple more reasons, too. So it's, as I said, it's dense, it's durable, but also it's eternally relevant. As long as there's DNA-based life on Earth and there's humans, uh, we're going to have reasons to read DNA. And the other thing that's interesting, too, DNA is very cheap to copy. So there are enzymes that can make copies of DNA That's in a right. very, very it parallel way. So you can replicate, yeah, you can replicate very, uh, very, very cheaply. But that's the other thing now. So you're creating the synthetic DNA, which can replicate. Suppose it leaks out into the wild. You know, suppose I, I, I touch it and swallow it or something. Can it, can it integrate itself into, into life and create something freakish? No, absolutely not. So it's going to be digested very, very soon and then be reused for something else. I yeah. see. Okay. And it doesn't replicate so, by itself, but the way it replicates, there's an enzyme that makes copies of DNA. You have mm-hmm. to do something to make it replicate. It doesn't just replicate on its own. So can you explain to me what this would look like if I was able to you know, reduce myself in size and look at the process? Do you create some kind of, I don't know, DNA grid like those old IBM memory cores and then insert information and then take it out again? That's a great question. No, in fact, uh, one thing that's interesting about DNA as information storage is that there's no spatial grid. It's just really like, a, let's say, a jumbled mass of teeny molecules that hold information. And if you shrink yourself and you're looking at this, the process happening, you're actually incorporating one base at a time, A, C, Ts, and Gs. And mm-hmm. uh, the order of these bases corresponds to the information you want to store. And you need a way to control in which order you stitch these letters together, effectively one at a time, right? And then you have to make this very, very parallel because the process of making each molecule uh, can be slow compared to computers, but we can make many, many molecules in parallel. 
But then if you've got a bunch of a jumble of molecules, don't you have to reassemble them in the in the right order to get your information back out again? <laughs> Absolutely. That's why compute that's why computer science is great. We figure out how to do that as well. So each molecule has enough information to, that tells what's the payload, what's the data you store, mm-hmm. but also uh, enough meta information, enough metadata that tells you where it fits in the order, and so you can reconstruct. As you observe them when you're reading it, you start reassembling it, and you know can know very quickly with the algorithms that we developed when you've assembled the information. So this were like the way, I mean, as I understand it, email, for example, is delivered in data packets, mm-hmm. which sometimes might follow different routes over the Internet, but they get assembled at the other end right. in the right order. It's an extreme version of that. Yeah. So then what is it? what does this storage medium look like? Is it a liquid? Uh, no, we, um, it's in liquid when you're manipulating it, when you're uh, writing and reading. It's uh-huh. in uh, liquid form. But when you want to store it, we dehydrate it and uh, essentially put it on a surface that later you can resuspend uh, by rehydrating so it. I mean, it. So is it like a little – what does it look like? A little uh, USB chip? or it, it look like a little powder. It's so small. Powder. Yeah, so it, it, yeah, so we can encapsulate it in a way that looks like powder. Um, so if I was, idea, let, let's just say, I, were, I mean, I have a tremendous amount of photographs now. Yeah, if uh-huh. I were to store the family photo album in DNA, it would, I would, end, I'd have a handful of powder. Yeah, and you know, it's going to be. If you're talking about terabytes, it's going to be so small that you probably won't be able to see it. So smaller than I can even see. Right. But okay, that, I mean, that's that's very efficient, and that means I can store a lot of photographs. But how do I? I Suppose I lose it. I mean, how do I? Where do I put it so I don't lose it? It's a great. I have to know where you put it. Okay, well, <laughs> which, is, all right. All right. which is awesome, right? Imagine the possibilities to hide information too. <laughs> and then, when I want to retrieve them, you have to reliquify them. Yeah, you suspend them in effectively in water, uh, and then you run it through the DNA sequencer. And then, how does the DNA sequencer? So this is just like like the gen- DNA sequencers we use now for genetic yeah. testing. Absolutely. So we're repurposing the technology. So that's one of the things that I find beautiful about this So you, so you can use existing equipment then? Yeah, exactly, which wow. is really awesome. So this is really the confluence of two industries that is growing very, very fast. The biotech industry has been making incredible progress yeah. in writing and reading DNA. The IT industry obviously has been making incredible progress in building computers. And this project is one example how these two industries can get together to build you know, a whole new kind of uh, computer system, I would say. Um, and this is very timely because uh, the reason that DNA is so interesting, too, the other reason that I didn't mention is that all of the mainstream technologies used today are approaching their limits. Right. So, and then DNA you gives us an ability. To, yeah. yeah, so DNA gives the ability to go straight to the molecular level to store, to store data. And anyways, yeah, we definitely use uh, regular DNA sequencers to read the data. And if you come to our lab, you see we're going to have an Illumina machine. Illumina is one of the... Uh, the, the very popular um, uh, machines to read DNA, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we have an Illumina Naxseq. We also have a new one called uh, Nanopores, which is the size of a sneakers bar. So Illumina, the Illumina machine is about the size of a dorm fridge. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it reads DNA very fast. It's sort of like, quote-unquote, the industry standard right now for a number of ways. But there's an emerging technology called Nanopores that's much smaller, the size of a sneakers bar, that you... <laughs> You load, and we also use that in our lab. We've demonstrated how to The regular that. size Snickers or the fun size Snickers? <laughs> I'll say the regular size. Okay. This, this, uh, <laughs> and that's the one, if you look at the picture that we have on the system, we, build, we use a nanopore sequencer. And the nanopore sequencer is really amazing. Essentially, it's a tiny little hole where the DNA flows through. As it flows through, it generates an electric signal that you can decode to tell which base was there. 
So it's much, uh, much more compact. Now, don't the DNA sequencers destroy the DNA in, when they when they read it? They don't have to. It's it's a design choice today for for simplicity, but you don't have to destroy the DNA to read it. So you can get it back out, even those tiny quantities. You can get it you back. Can, out. You can get it back out. Yeah, yeah. Right. You have to engineer around it, but you can you can get it back out. And, and how long is this process? So if you you know from start to finish, if I'm going to re- retrieve the the family photo album, how long would it take? Um, Today it takes on the order of you know a few hours, uh-huh. so it's uh, slow in terms of latency, but the process is getting very parallel, as I said. Yeah. So you have to wait a bit, but you get a bunch of data out. Right. I mean, right. you're and talking. Then, well, I can. I mean, a few hours doesn't strike me as as a whole lot when you're talking about the tremendous amount of information you're talking about. I mean, the density is unbelievable. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's only getting better because DNA. One of the reasons that DNA sequencing is getting much much cheaper and it's becoming, you know, much more accessible for genome sequencing. Uh, we we are riding that curve too, so it's getting cheaper and cheaper and faster and faster to read data stored in DNA as well. Yeah, huh? I'm just trying to figure out um, how this could go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, uh, we want to think about this now rather than well, later. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, the reproduction part then is that just to make the raw material, or for example, could, would it just start reproducing it? reproducing itself and essentially spreading your data everywhere. No, it doesn't reproduce by itself. There is a process that's fascinating uh, that's part of molecular biology 101 called polymerase chain reaction. Polymerase is a tiny little enzyme. It's a protein that is able to replicate DNA by cycling the temperature. As temperature goes up and down, every time it goes up and down, you double. So that means if you do 10 cycles of that, Mm -hmm. 2 to the 10th power, is 1,024. Like infinite amounts. So now you can actually, you can keep going, and then you can make a large, uh, a large number of copies. And, but you can control how many uh, copies you make. We do that in the lab all the time. The reason this is powerful is for the following reasons. So, so we make copies of data all the time to right. keep it safe, right? So when you store, when you back up your data in the cloud, it's actually stored in a bunch of different hard drives and a bunch of different computers, possibly across buildings, possibly across the country, possibly across the planet, right? So depending mm-hmm. on how... Now imagine the ability to just make millions of copies of your data, and then you can spread it everywhere such that in case you need it, you can, you you can, can have get a copy it. somewhere. Exactly. Right. And this is so small, you could just... You never have to throw anything away again. Right, exactly. And you could store copies so that if you... Since we're talking about little droplets of material, if you lost it, then it would, it would still be somewhere. It would be somewhere. You know where the other copies could be. That's right. So That's also the downside, so you, though. Everything is always somewhere then, right? I mean, uh-huh. Yeah. Everything okay. is always somewhere. So you're trying to find ways of breaking that. So well, let's, I mean, let's I see think, how we can do that. We can actually fix that by saying you're going to encrypt it. You can encrypt it. And right? then if you throw the keys away, it doesn't matter when you find the copies. If you don't you have the keys, you can't recover it. Because this could be like, I mean, you could atomize this and make it into clouds. You could have a literal DNA cloud. <laughs> Yeah, so that they would be everybody's data would be everywhere all the time, just always floating around you. you I just, love that thought. We 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 love talking about this in the lab as well. We can literally have yeah DNA. All you have to do is have a condenser that condenses it out, yeah. right? It goes right, and then you could get anything anywhere. Yeah. Could this amount of DNA eventually develop a consciousness of its own? Um, no. It'll be very interesting. <laughs> I mean, you need a neural network or something to connect it. Oh, right? yeah. You, you could build circuits out of DNA. You can make them compute. We do some of that work in our lab, too, but that's topic for for a different conversation. Um, but, no, on, on its own, uh, DNA is literally just an information storage molecule. Yeah. Like, you have to do something to read it and, uh, of course, have to do something to write it, but to read it, for, for you to do anything, you have to go and run it through through a process. 
And, um, and also, remember that life uses DNA to store information called genes that you right. use to make proteins and so on. Um, and you have to follow some rules to make valid proteins to make proteins to do anything, right? So uh, our DNA is going to look like random gibberish to, to nature. It's probably not going to express into anything meaningful to life, right? right? Um, and also, to get a little more technical, the way we don't make a long piece of DNA to map a file. We break a file into tiny little pieces, mm -hmm. and we make DNA molecules that are each on the order of 150 to 200 nucleotides, 150 to 100 to 200 letters. Uh, and that's so small that they can't encode uh, anything meaningful. I'm just amazed that when you break up the data into these basically invisible particles and you make it into a soup and you run it through the, the reader, that it can assemble them in, in just a few hours and put them in order. You must have some redundancy, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, We have two forms of redundancy. You know, When we encode information, we add extra redundant information so that if you have errors, you can recover from, yeah. from those errors. So we use um, lots of innovations in what we call information theory or coding theory to do that. But in, in addition to that, the process of synthesizing DNA, we don't make just a single copy of each sequence. We make, a we make literally millions of copies. I see. So there's also some physical redundancy. So if I have this little pile of powder that represents my photo album and I sneeze or something, um, as long as I still have a fraction of it, a significant fraction of it left, it could be reconstructed. That's right. That's exactly right. So right. that's, again, uh, that's, the, that's computer science helping with this problem, right? So one of the things I find fascinating, uh, I'm, I'm a computer scientist by training, and you know, I'm learning about molecular biology, being, always being fascinated by it. So I'm always trying to find new ways of reading computers with what we learn from molecular biology, right? But computer science uh, has made incredible progress in all sorts of ways of encoding information and we retrieve information in a uh, redundant way. For example, use your cell phone all the time, right? right? So radio frequency is very, very noisy. So the way, the only reason we can have, we can send files perfectly over wireless or you can talk clearly on your cell phone is because there's a fair amount of redundant information being sent over the channel and reconstructed. And, and we, are, we extended all of those ideas that computer science has worked on very hard, but we made it work for DNA. Yeah. There's some significant challenges, but that's, that's a good chunk of our innovation is on the computer science side of how to make this encoding be effective. There's, isn't that why there's a slight delay in cell phone calls? Because you're, the, you can't just, you're not just hearing it in real time. It's being reconstructed. It's being reconstructed. And also there's some delays of routing and so yeah. on along the way. But yeah, so there's a significant amount of processing going on to reconstruct the information perfectly on the other side of the, the wireless. <laughs> okay, so ultimately... Would this DNA storage be built into cell phones and uh, so that it would just become essentially infinite storage in your pocket without a big delay? That's how we see. We definitely wanted to offer the ability to store everything that you always wanted to store forever, store everything forever. Um, right now, we're not really seeing it in, um, in cell phones in your pocket. We're mm -hmm. seeing it being in the cloud somewhere. Yeah. Um, but that means it would be generally, it would be essentially transparent to the user. What are you going to enjoy as a user is, the ability to store a lot more information a lot cheaper for a long, longer period of time. It's uh, an amazing technology, and I'm very glad to hear that it, does, it will never, ever have a life of its own. It won't. <laughs> professor Luis Cese is a computer and science engineering professor at the University of Washington working on storing information in the form of synthetic DNA. Thank you very much. Thank you.